And uh, I want to try and cover three separate questions this evening. And, uh, and so we'll start. They're, they're rather um, brief questions. They're uh, something that I, I feel like it's valid to, an, uh, to ask and valid to answer, uh, but it's not necessarily a full message per se. And so I just want to give some brief explanations, and, uh, and I hope and pray that this will be a blessing and an encouragement to you as we read. Sometimes when you're reading through the Word of God, there are things that stand out, and you say, well, what is that? And, and sometimes, um, sometimes even I scratch my head and say, well, I'm not for sure what that is. And, uh, but I don't mind studying and looking and, and trying to find. And, and, uh, and so we're going to do our best to wade through some of these. And, uh, and uh, we'll look at these tonight. So we'll be in three separate passages. We don't have one uh, specific. But we're going to start here in Psalm chapter number 47. And I've entitled it, Shields, Kings, and Gardening. Okay? Uh, Shields, Kings, and Gardening. Don't ask me why. You'll understand when we get into it all. So let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer before we get into any further here. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have to gather in your house. God, we thank you for your many blessings in our life. And Father, thank you for uh, a place that we can worship, a Bible that we can read and trust and depend upon. And God, I pray that you would just bless our services tonight. Use me, God. I pray that you'd speak through me. Give us understanding as we... uh, look at your scripture tonight and help us to understand exactly what you're saying. And Father, we'll thank you for that. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have Psalm chapter number 47, and I just want to look at the first verse here, uh, as here is the question lies in this verse. The Bible says in Psalm 47, 9, The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Let's stop right there. And and as we look at this, the question is, what are the shields of the earth? What are the shields of the earth? And uh, and so I'm going to go over actually the things that I gave you, I think, last week, if I remember, and, and they were just Bible study, how to study your Bible techniques. And the first thing we want to do is look at the context of this. And uh, so I read the whole psalm. We'll not do that right now uh, for sake of time. But but look with me in verse number six. I want you to see this verse. I love this verse. I thought of it tonight as we were singing. The Bible says in Psalm 47, 6, Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our King, sing praises. Uh, I think if you understand the point of that verse, it's simply to sing praises to God, all right? It's pretty simple, and it's repeated multiple times, and that's why I liked it. I thought, boy, that, uh, that verse is very sharp, it's very direct, it's very pointed, that we are to praise the Lord. And I think this, this verse encapsulates the entirety of Psalm 47 because it deals with praising the Lord for His greatness. And he gives us the instruction in verse number 6 there to Praise the Lord. So we understand uh, that the context of this entire psalm is praising the Lord. But look in verse number 9, and the context of verse number 9 will help us as well. The Bible says, The princes 
of the people are gathered together. So he's talking about people, and he's talking specifically about the princes, and he says, even the people of the God of Abraham. And the people of the God of Abraham uh, would be Israel. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people. He chose Abraham. And then the, the people of the God of Abraham, that would be the Israelites. Okay, so he's talking about these people. And, uh, of course, the princes would be uh, perhaps leaders, uh, governors, officials that would be in charge or responsible for a government. That's kind of what we think of when we think of a prince, somebody who is uh, uh, in charge, a governor, or maybe the son of a governor that would perhaps be the next governor, as many times would happen in monarch kingdoms that we see so often in the Bible. So we have the people in verse number 9. And then he goes on and he says in that verse, For the shields of the earth belong unto God. And, uh, and we see that, that shields are a, uh, a protective instrument. So a shield uh, is a, it's a defensive weapon, if I could say it that way. It's something that you would use to protect yourself. We, of course, know what a shield is, but it helps us to really understand, hey, the idea is protection. And, uh, and he's associating it with those people that are there. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. The Bible gives us the idea of a shield in Ephesians 6.16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We know what a shield is. It's something you would hold up. We don't, we're not in military. Matter of fact, they don't even, uh, they don't, I don't know that they have shields per se. Uh, they do wear body armor, uh, which would be similar to a shield, but it was made in Bible times so that you could hold that shield and your sword, and when you're fighting and somebody takes a swing at you, you could block it with your shield and then counterattack with your sword. So a shield is a defensive weapon. And I think what is, what the verse is clarifying is that these people, who are the people? The princes, that would be the leaders, the, 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 the authority, and, and the nation of Israel are protectors of the people, or of, uh, they're the shields, rather, uh, that God uses to protect people. Uh, now, that's a literal interpretation as we look at this and we think about this. And, uh, and so I think uh, that's the idea. Now, there's, there's several ways, there's, there's more ways that you could look at that. There are certainly some things, uh, but, but I find it hard to definitively say, well, it's this or that. Um, but the Bible is clear as far as just looking at this verse that the, the people seem to represent those shields and that those shields belong to God, whether they're uh, governors and leaders or whether they're the nation of Israel that is protecting other people. Uh, and sometimes it was literal. Sometimes it was spiritual protection. And you say, well, what's, what's that? Uh, well, listen, uh, righteousness protects from wickedness. The Bible says in Proverbs, righteousness exalteth the people, but sin is a reproach to many people. We know that God judges sin. And so, uh, so if we think about it that way, there are times when righteousness would protect other people. It would influence them for right, and we ought to influence people for right. 
And so we can look at it that way as well. I want to, not only the context as we look at this, I want us also to think about the cross-references that we had mentioned before. Um, And so I looked up that phrase, shields of the earth. And this is it. It's the only place it shows up. Psalm 47, 9. Uh, Wasn't that interesting? Uh, But I did find another verse that that does correlate a little bit with it and will kind of help us um, have an idea of it. So save your spot here in Psalm. We'll be right back here. But go with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 20 or chapter number 2. 1 Samuel chapter number 2. And in 1 Samuel chapter number 2, of course, in 1 Samuel 1, we have Hannah as she goes to the temple and she prays for her son and God does promise her uh, that he will give her a son and and she does end up having a son. And so in Samuel chapter number 2, we have the praise of Hannah. Hannah is excited. She's praising the Lord for her child that was given to her and she's about to give him back to the Lord, but she's offering a a, a serious uh, amount of praise all throughout this uh, first part of the chapter that we're going to look at. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 2 in verse number 1, we'll kind to get the context and it says and Hannah prayed and said my heart rejoiceth in the Lord mine horn is exalted in the Lord my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation and so you can see she's very pleased about what is taking place she's praising the Lord in these in this these verses look with me down in verse number six we're going to kind of jump into the middle of what she's saying in, in her midst of praising the Lord, she says this, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. Verse number 8, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He hath set the world upon them. I just want to stop right there in that phrase, pillars of the Lord. Uh, and, and so we see that same idea. And again, this phrase is not used elsewhere, but, uh, but it kind of goes in with the idea of, of the shields of the Lord. Uh, or shields of the earth, rather, that belong to the Lord. And so we see the idea is that God is in control of things. That's what this song, that's what this praise that Hannah is giving is showing very clearly that, hey, God raises up people. Uh, God allows people to die. God allows uh, Hannah to have a child and have a son. And so she was excited about that. God raises up poor people. God uh, allows things to take place. That is the whole idea and concept of her of her praising here. And so she says there in verse number eight, in the, kind of in the middle of the verse, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. And so if we think about that and we think about the shields of the earth that belong to the Lord being people and that God would, uh, would, would use people as protection for other things, maybe for righteousness, maybe for government, maybe for uh, other things, but nonetheless, God is in control is what we can see. Go with me to one more psalm, Psalm 24, as we think about the idea of this, Psalm chapter 24. 
I just want you to see these first four verses of this psalm because they kind of correlate with the idea that God is in control and that God uh, has the shields of the earth and God has the pillars of the earth uh, that He is established and that He is raised up. In psalm chapter 24 and verse number 1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord's? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And so we see uh, he goes on there and, and gives more, uh, more things there. But the idea is that sometimes we think that God is not in control, but God is in control. And God establishes the pillars of the earth. And God establishes the shields of the earth. And so God is in control of things. And, and God is not taken by surprise of things that take place in this world. God is not surprised by uh, bad or when uh, Russia invades Ukraine. That doesn't take God by surprise. Uh, matter of fact, sometimes God allowed nations to come in as judgment. Uh, sometimes God allowed nations to come in for other reasons. And so uh, what I'm saying is I'm pointing out the fact that God is most certainly in control. Sometimes he punishes wicked and sometimes uh, he does other things and protects people. And what happens when uh, punishment crosses wickedness? We have a couple examples of that in the Bible. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is a very well-known uh, reference of God's judgment that fell upon the face of the earth. And, uh, and you remember Abraham was praying to God and saying, God, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy it? And God says, no, I won't destroy it for 50 righteous. And, and Abraham uh, says, God, for 40 righteous. And, and God says, I won't destroy it for 40 righteous. And if I'm not mistaken, he goes all the way down to 10 people. For ten righteous, God says, I won't destroy it for ten righteous people. In other words, understand this, if there had been ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, then God's judgment would have been spared on Sodom and Gomorrah. The righteous were the shields of Sodom and Gomorrah. But there were not ten righteous people there. But I want you to understand this. Even before God does judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he sends angels in to get Lot and his family out of there. And so God removed the righteous, and the Bible does call Lot righteous in, in, in the book of Jude in the New Testament, and God removes Lot out of that before he allows his judgment to come down and to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so understand that uh, while God is in control, God is also careful uh, that, that he would move things around and that, uh, that he would spare Lot and his family from that uh, serious judgment that did fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. Another example is Noah and, and the ark. Uh, God said to, to Noah, hey, I want you to build an ark. And he built it big enough, and, and, and God was withholding judgment. Why? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we find that the righteousness and those who are saved and those who live right, as we see here in Psalm 24, are those that, that are righteous that God would say, hey, those are protectors. 
and God would spare judgment on the account of them, and in the event that he can no longer withhold judgment, we see that uh, he had Noah build an ark. And what did he do? Get in the ark. They were spared that judgment. They did not get... Uh, they, they, they did not uh, die in that worldwide flood because God spared them that judgment. And so God is in control. So when we see that back in our verse in Psalm 47, 9, it says, The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. So we see that God is in control and that he is able uh, to use people as shields or protection uh, from other people. And so I, I think you could, go, you could go a little farther with that. I don't know that it would fall in line with Scripture. Uh, I would love to say that, uh, that, that we are, and, and I think to an extent we are because we are saved, and therefore uh, we would fall in the category of the righteous, uh, that God would withhold judgment. But I do know this, according to this verse, uh, that, that it seems though the people are the shields of the earth and they belong to God. In other words, God is in control and He's the one that can shield people or protect people or move uh, things around to protect those that need protection. So we see that in, in Psalm 47.9. I hope that helps. Uh, that is a difficult verse as you look at it. Go with me to one other verse here in Daniel chapter number 2. Daniel chapter number 2, this one will not take as long, but Daniel chapter number 2, and in Daniel chapter number 2, so that's the, uh, we have the shields there in, in Psalm 47, and in Daniel chapter 2, we have the kings, and, uh, and King Nebuchadnezzar uh, is, has had a dream, and, uh, and he asked all his wise men to come, come tell him the dream and the interpretation. And when all the wise men said, that's insane, we can't do that, he said, kill all the wise men. And all of a sudden, word got to Daniel, and Daniel said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, I, know, I know somebody who can help, that's God. And so Daniel goes, and Daniel talks to King Nebuchadnezzar, and, uh, and, and God gives Daniel the same dream, uh, the same vision of what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. So he has that dream, and, uh, and he knows what it is. God, God gave him all that wisdom, and he knows the interpretation of it. And so in Daniel chapter number 2, in verse number 37, he's going to give uh, the king that interpretation. Look with me in verse number 36. The Bible says, this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. Now that phrase in verse 37, for thou, thou O king, art a king of kings. And the question is this, isn't king of kings used to reference the Lord Jesus Christ? And it is. And with this verse shows up, or this phrase shows up uh, six times in the, in the Bible. It shows up three times in the New Testament. It's in the, uh, 1 Timothy 6.15 and Revelation 17.14 and Revelation 19.16. And every time that the king of kings shows up, it is referenced in the New Testament to God and specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so uh, it's a valid question. Then why, what, is this a prophetic portion or what is the deal with this being applied to Nebuchadnezzar? Because Nebuchadnezzar was not a, uh, a godly king, if I can say it that way. Matter of fact, he was the one who went in and conquered Egypt. He was the one who went in and conquered Israel and, uh, and brought all the young men, Daniel included, and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and brought them to, uh, to Babylon. And, and so he had conquered Israel. So he was not a godly king, if I can say it that way, but he was a very powerful dream or powerful king. And, uh, and so that's what's going on in the context of all of this. And, and I don't believe it's a prophetic portion by any stretch because uh, we see here this is used, and, and I think it's this, that Daniel was simply, um, what's the word, right word, reverencing or, or being respectful uh, or paying a very high compliment to King Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to notice the little article that is in front of it in verse number 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. He did not say the king of kings. That would be a supreme, sovereign title. Uh, but he says a king of kings. And I found it very interesting because uh, every time in the Old Testament it's used, it is in reference to, to a uh, a... a a complementary way to an earthly king. I was going to look this up, uh, Artaxerxes, in Ezra 7.12, uh, but in Ezra 7.12 we find the Bible says, Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of God. And so it's attributed to an earthly king, Artaxerxes. In Ezekiel 26.7, it is also used, uh, and it is for uh, Nebuchadrezzar. We find his name is Nebuchadrezzar in Ezekiel. And in Daniel, it is Nebuchadnezzar, uh, same guy. And uh, names get real complex when you start doing different languages. And so, uh, so I don't know why. Uh, it's Nebuchadnezzar in one and Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. Uh, but I do know it is the same guy and he kind of gives the same idea. It says, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a king of kings from the north. And so it's just a complementary uh, way of referring to a king that perhaps is very powerful or very uh, strong. And, and Nebuchadnezzar certainly was a very powerful king. And, uh, and so it is not a reference to God, though in the New Testament, the king of kings uh, in, in 1 Timothy, I, I, I wrote this verse down in 1 Timothy 6.15, it says, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. And that certainly, most certainly, is a reference to God. And so both of those in Revelation as well uh, have king of kings and lord of lords, and it's more definitive. So, uh, so in Daniel, it is not a reference to God. It is a reference to man. It is a very... Um, complimentary way uh, of addressing somebody that is very powerful. And so we see that. Let's go to one more, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter number 23 and verse 31. That was the king, so we have shields and kings, now we got gardening. Luke 23 verse 31. 
this one's kind of apropos because it falls right after Easter and we kind of covered, we, we kind of looked at the ideas of some of this, at least in Easter Sunday with Jesus and the crucifixion and, and Luke chapter number 23 and verse number 31 the Bible says this, For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Now there's, a, there's a verse that will make you scratch your head, all right? And, uh, and so what's the context of that? Uh, well, we're in Luke chapter 23, so we're at the end. Uh, when Jesus is about to be crucified, you'll notice in the first verse of Luke 23 uh, that, that, uh, that the Bible says, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nations and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And so Pilate then drills him and is trying to figure out what is going on, as we talked about that on Sunday morning. And, uh, and we find that there is an entire trial, uh, though it was a very scam trial that took place. And, uh, and, and go with me there to verse number 27, Jesus is now being led away to be crucified. We'll go to verse 26. Verse 26, the Bible says, And as they led him away, they laid hold, on, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, come out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. In other words, they, uh, they felt bad for Jesus. They loved Jesus, and they were concerned that he was being crucified. Verse 28, But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which... They shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And so Jesus as Simon is carrying that cross, turns to the ladies and says to them, uh, hey, don't weep for me, weep for your own selves. And he proceeds to tell them that there is coming a day uh, when people will be glad that they did not have children. And they'll be glad that they did not uh, bear any, any children. Why? And he goes on in verse 30, uh, because they'll, they'll begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. In other words, man, I'm going to go stand under this rock and, and hope that a sound happens so this rock will fall on me and kill me. What's he talking about? He's talking about a great day of judgment when people will want to die, but will find it even difficult to die. They'll be glad that they don't have children. That's how bad the judgment will be that will take place. And then so he's explaining to them uh, a very uh, sad day when judgment will fall and people will be very... Uh, Will, will want to die, and they'll not be able to die. And then he says this in verse 31, For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? What is a green tree as we think about this? I think a green tree, much of this is subject to opinion and my interpretation. 
um, even in some of the other verses. But I think a green tree uh, would certainly stand for uh, something of righteousness and prosperity. A green tree is something that has been watered. It is growing, it is flourishing, it has leaves on it. As we come into springtime, uh, I'm always glad to see the, the leaves come back on the trees and they don't look so dead and barren and, and they look like they're prospering and they're budding and things are happening and things are beginning to grow. So he's saying in a green tree would be a prosperous type of thing where a dry dead tree uh, is not prospering. And, uh, and I thought of this verse in, in Psalm 1.1. Uh, you don't have to turn there, for sake of time, but in Psalm 1.1, all the way down through 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that, sitteth, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Verse 3 goes on and says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And so we have the idea that righteousness in a green tree would be a tree that is flourishing because of righteousness, because they're doing something right. And so God is blessing and God is allowing that tree to grow and bring forth fruit and bring forth leaves and and fruit and leaves. And all of that is always kind of represented as God's blessing upon man. Now, what is a dry tree and a dead tree or a dry, uh, he just leaves it off. What shall be done in the dry? Um, What is a dry tree or a dry land? Well, if you think about Bible times, oftentimes a dry and barren land uh, could be a, a place of testing. But secondly, it could be very well the judgment of God. How many times in the in the book of Kings, uh, God would send a drought because the nation of Israel was not uh, following after him. One of the primary times I think of is Elijah, uh, when Ahab was king and Elijah, and they were, the, the nation of Israel was worshiping Baal. And so Elijah, Elijah goes to Ahab and says, uh, it's not going to rain on this land until I say so. That was God's judgment on Israel. And so for three years, there was no rain uh, in the nation of Israel. And, and so the brooks were drying up and the trees were br- drying up and it was a dry land. Why? Because wickedness was present in the land. And so I think the green would represent the righteousness and I think the dry would represent the judgment of God. Now, why is he saying that? He says, for if they do these things in a green tree, I think he's speaking of his current circumstances. Jesus Christ, and we talked about this on Sunday, was the sinless Son of God. He had never sinned. He did no wrong. The Bible says there was no guile found in his mouth. And so he was very righteous and therefore very very much so a prospering tree. Uh, Now you might look at it and say a a fellow carrying a cross to his death uh, is not very prosperous, uh, but in, in righteousness of speaking, He was, and that was the plan of God for him to redeem mankind. So he was very much so prosperous, and he was uh, doing what God wanted him to do. And so we find that I think he is speaking of his own circumstances, saying, hey, I'm an innocent person, and yet they have pushed all of this through so that I might be crucified. 
And so he's saying, if, this, if wickedness prevails this much uh, on a righteous individual, then how much more when there's only wickedness around? In other words, as we go back all the way to uh, the righteous are the shields of the earth, or uh, the, that God would use righteousness to protect the earth, could you imagine when the rapture takes place and the Holy Spirit and righteousness is pulled out of this world. And that's what he's talking about here uh, as he's saying, listen, there's going to be a judgment uh, like has never been seen before and people are going to want to die and not be able to die. And, and, and he's saying, hey, uh, you know, it's going to be worse. And so, uh, so the idea of this green tree, again, he says there in verse 31, for if they do these things, in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? In other words, with a dry and barren wickedness, and how much greater the judgment, and how much greater the tribulation, and how much greater the problems that will come for mankind. And so, um, that's my understanding of that verse. And, uh, and I hope that helps at least uh, a little bit in, in those three verses that can... Uh, throw you for a loop as you're reading your Bible and you're saying, man, what is the shields of the earth? And uh, isn't the King of Kings the Lord Jesus Christ? And it is in the New Testament and uh, green tree gardening. Um, and so I hope and pray that that is a help and a blessing to you as we uh, continue to look at all the questions uh, that we have from the Word of the Lord. Let's uh, just have a moment of invitation and uh, let's stand to our feet. We'll have a word of prayer and have a short invitation. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that you are in control. Help us to understand and realize that righteousness exalteth a nation and sin is a reproach to many people. And God, help us to realize that really you're in control of things. God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study. And God, it was not per se a message, but God, maybe you spoke to somebody's heart. Maybe you challenged them about studying. Maybe you challenged them about living righteously. Maybe you challenged them about some other thing. And, and God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short meeting.